Thank you. Just curious, how many of you sensed the presence of God during the worship? And for me, it was absolutely overwhelming, <laughs> and I needed it. It's incredible. A number of years ago, I did a series on the life of Jesus, and there was, I don't know, I didn't get th through it, but there was at least 30 to 40 messages in the life of Jesus. I'd like to fi finish it someday. But of those 30 or 40 messages, this one I'm going to do today is in the top three. And there's one next Sunday I'm going to do that's also in the top three. This is absolutely one of my favorite stories from Jesus' life because contained in it is the definition of our faith. Contained in it is what separates our faith from all other world religions. And it's this thing Josh was talking about called grace. But it's revealed in a very, very unique way. And I think, I think for a lot of you, you're not going to have heard this before. And it's going to strike very deeply in your hearts. At least that's the prayer. So let's read together Matthew 9. Verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Well, in this little story is the central difference between Christianity and all other religions. And this story is the first time Jesus begins to differ from his Jewish roots. In this story, he sets forth the fundamental message of what he came to give. Now, to get the point and really understand the impact of what's happening here, we need some background. As we have background, which I'm going to give you, you'll see just how radical Jesus' action was in this story. First of all, Matthew is a tax collector who is also a Jew. But he lives off the Romans. He works for the Romans and he lives off what he can overcharge the rest of his Jewish countrymen. So he's absolutely despised and hated. He has sold out to the occupying force. He's working for them, and he's creaming a really good, he's skimming the cream off the top for a really, really good living as he's part of the oppressive system that is abusing his fellow countrymen. So they absolutely hate him. He was not to be spoken to. He was to be despised. He was to be shunned in every way. Now, there was a party, a Jewish party, a political, uh, almost, well, militant wing of Judaism who were militantly anti-Rome. And they had a creed. 
They had four things that defined their mission as zealots. The first is this. We will pay no tax but the temple tax. Number two, we will have no law but the Torah. Number three, we will have no king but the Messiah. Number four, if you get a chance, kill a tax collector. Seriously. That's how hated tax collectors were. Now, for Matthew to be acceptable to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, he would have to repent. He would have to repent of having been a tax collector, a turncoat, a traitor. But his repentance can't be simply a matter of his heart or his desire or his will. He can't just show up to the Pharisees and say, you know, I'm really disgusted with myself and I see I've been terribly, terribly wrong and I just want you to know that and and I'd like you to, to extend fellowship to me and I'd like you to forgive me because I've seen that what I'm doing is wrong and I have a change of heart and I have a change of mind. He can't do that. To the Jews, repentance was not a matter of what he desired. It was only true repentance if he changes his behavior completely. To be acceptable under Judaism, he would have to become what they call a penitent. Have you ever heard that expression before? A penitent? This is someone who lives in a constant state of shame for his sins. And this person must do good works to work his way out of his sinful state. And it's going to last as long as the religious leaders thinks it takes for him to really prove his repentance. And it's going to take as long as they decide is enough good works that have been done so he can become acceptable to God. Sounds like religion, doesn't it? You're going to work your way into self-improvement to make yourself acceptable to God. Now here's his huge problem. The huge problem for Matthew was that it was a commonly held belief amongst the Pharisees that it was impossible for a tax collector to repent. He can't become a penitent. He is beyond hope. He is beyond repentance. There is nothing he can do to get into God's good books. He is therefore in a hopeless and impossible place, and he knows it. And everybody around him knows it. He is beyond redemption. Even if he wanted to repent, it's impossible for him to be good enough to be accepted by God. Now, you probably don't know what it feels like to be in this place. When I was 19, I decided I wanted to be a Christian. But I was absolutely certain in my own mind that I could never be good enough to be a Christian. So despite the hunger inside of me to know God, my mind told me I'm not good enough to come to God. It is impossible for me to be good enough to be a Christian. I lived that way till I was 28 years old. And I'm telling you, it's a horrible torture.
Matthew was like that. I wanted to be a Christian, but I knew I was not capable of the kind of goodness it took to be one, and it was a form of suffering. Now Jesus comes to this hopeless person beyond redemption, and Jesus says one thing to him, follow me. Come with me. He doesn't say, repent and change, and then you can follow me. He just calls him to himself, plain and simple. Come, follow me. As he is, without repentance, without change. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is giving him the acceptance of relationship before he says anything about repentance. Well, that right there violates what most of us think about God most of the time. We talk about God's grace and his unconditional love, but in our minds and often in our hearts is this belief that to really be loved by God, I've got to be good. I've got to be good enough to receive his love. But if we have any kind of moral conscience and truthful mind, we realize we're not good enough to be good enough. We're not good enough to be good enough to be good enough for God. Jesus gives him relationship and acceptance, and he doesn't say anything about repentance. The Pharisees say, Become a penitent and then you will receive the welcome of God. Jesus gives him the welcome of God and that welcome makes him a penitent. Do you get it? Come on, people. This is is backwards. This, This offends every religious bone in our bodies. It's not fair that this guy is going to get the welcome of God and he didn't have to repent. What kind of system is this? What kind of self-respecting religion is this? Well, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Jesus gives him the welcome of God, and that welcome makes him a penitent. Religion makes a demand, but the welcome of God imparts life. The Jews taught that repentance leads to the love of God, but Jesus demonstrated that it's the love of God that leads to repentance. And this is what Paul taught as well. Romans 2.4 Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And the word kindness that Paul uses there, it literally means to furnish what is needed. And together with the word leads, it carries the meaning of bringing something about. It really means this. It's the love of God that empowers your repentance. And he will give you that love before you repent. Because you need that love to repent. You see, the call that Jesus makes to Matthew, come and follow me, 
And he makes it to all of us. It's not primarily to repentance, but it's to himself. The repentance is going to follow naturally. The repentance is going to follow easily when you have been called to come and share life with Jesus. How can I say that? It just just seems offensive in some way. It's this. The reason repentance will follow when you follow Jesus is because being close to him and seeing his perfection convicts us of our brokenness and need. Not because he accuses. Not because he condemns. But because we've begun to see how truly beautiful he is. And how wonderful he is. And how loving he is. And how patient he is. And how forgiving he is. And how kind he is. You don't know how bad you are till you have a truly good friend. I mean, a friend who's truly good. It's in the presence of good people that we realize, I don't think I'm very good. Their presence convicts me, and they never said anything bad about me. It's just who they are that makes me think, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. Being close to Jesus is being close to perfection. And when you're close to perfection, your imperfections are all the darker. But you can stand seeing it because he's already welcomed you. Number two, the reason why repentance follows is because of the transforming power of his love. We don't change as Christians because we decide to. We don't have the ability to change ourselves. Not fundamentally, not at the core of our being. Not real transformation. That takes a power greater than ourselves. When you're with him, you're in the presence of the transforming power of love. All the world's religions call men to repentance, but only one calls us to Jesus. And Jesus' call to all people is to himself first and to the kingdom of his Father. And in the process of following him, repentance will not just be part of the beginning. Repentance is a lifestyle. Now, this is what I love about this story. Jesus is making this point about God's love and acceptance of the sinner first. And the first call to come to him first. He's doing this by calling the one person that the whole town knows is the absolute worst sinner. He is calling the one incapable of repentance. 
And the message got out. The first thing Matthew does is to throw a party. If you thought you were beyond repair, if you thought you were beyond forgiveness, if you thought there was no hope for you, and God comes and says, I want to have dinner with you. I'm going to be your friend. Do you think you might celebrate? So Matthew throws the party of all parties, and who does he invite? All the other scum. All the other reprobates. All the other bums that have no hope. (laughs) Jesus wants to have dinner with me. Come to my house. We're going to party together. Probably a kager. (laughs) Probably. Well, look what he did at the wedding. And that, that got crazy. So Matthew's going to throw this party and he invites all the scum beyond the capacity to repent. Here at last is acceptance and love for those who are beyond hope of being loved. And the blessing of Jesus calling to Matthew to himself was blessing not just for Matthew, but for all of those who do not believe that they will ever be good enough for a relationship with God. And the wonderful truth is this, and they know it, they will never be good enough for a relationship with God. None of us is good enough for a relationship with God. But His love given before they repent will give them what they need to repent. And this power of love is not the power to change. It is the power that brings change. We had this crazy idea that God's love will fortify my will so that through my will, I will make better choices and I will gradually become a better person because he's fortifying my will. And therefore, really, I'm changing myself. Who gets the credit? I... I'm a better person this week than I was last week. And you are still the loser you always were. If we change ourselves, the result is self-righteousness. If God changes us, the result is humility. There is no spiritual pride in transformation when the transformation was attributed to God's goodness. And the worst form of sin in Jesus' mind is self-righteousness. It's the one thing he went after the Pharisees for. And we buy into it all the time when we think we're responsible for the great choices we make. Where do you think the power came from to make them? And frankly... He's changing you even deeper than your choices. He's changing your very nature. He's working inside you at the level of your desires. Not even your choices. It goes deeper than that. His love is transforming you into someone full of Him. So when you change, He gets the credit, not you. But here's the beauty. When He gets the credit, not you. You're not really responsible. It's his life in you that's bringing about these changes. Listen, 
You're only responsible for one thing. Go and follow Jesus. Get close to him. Spend time with him. Get to know him. Fall in love with him. Accept his love for your life. And you will find yourself changing. You are being transformed by being close to him. The power of his love is not the power to change. It is the power that brings change. Now, inevitably, this message... (laughs) by Jesus, brings a backlash from the forces of legalism, traditional religion. And they respond. And when the Pharisees saw this, him partying with Matthew and his low-life friends, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you befriending These sinners who haven't repented. This can't be right. They have to repent first. And during this message, as I'm saying these things, some of you are thinking, yeah, they do have to repent first. That's the Pharisee in you screaming to get out. No. No, you say, God will only love you and give you welcome once you've repented. This can't be right. Listen, this is the voice of the old man living under the law, the troll who lives under the bridge. And Jesus responds forcefully, and he refers them back to their precious law, and he finds within it the prophetic longing that waited for Jesus to come and set things right. He quotes the very heart of God for his sinful people. He says this, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God's saying, I'm in the mercy business, not the business of judging you on your performance. For I have not come to call perfect people to perfect behavior. I've come for the broken ones. See, for the Jews, it was only one kind of mercy. That was the kind of mercy that came after a sacrifice. Jesus was showing that there's only one kind of sacrifice, himself, and that mercy flows to all who know their need. Only Jesus can welcome sinners before they repent because only Jesus has paid for their sins before the welcome. Hello? I really like that line. I'm going to say it again. Only Jesus can welcome sinners before they repent Because only Jesus has paid for their sins before he welcomes them. It's profound, people. Why does Jesus call us to himself even before repentance? Because the call to him is higher and better than even repenting. 
Every religion calls people to repentance, but only one calls people to Jesus. It's a relationship, not a religion. Now, we could say, well, you know, this incident with Matthew, that's just, a, that's just an isolated incident. Maybe it doesn't really work that way. Maybe that was an exception to the rule. This incident with Matthew was not an isolated occurrence. It was typical of how Jesus sees people. Luke 19, 1 to 10, <laughs> Jesus initiates relationship with another write-off, Zacchaeus, another sleazebag. This man is even worse than Matthew. And the story follows the same pattern. Jesus welcomes this hopeless sinner. And the effect of this shocking love is repentance. Jesus doesn't even bother to mention to Zacchaeus what a rotten sinner he is. And how much he needs to repent. Zacchaeus repents because he was loved. Jesus said, I want to eat with you today. I want to come to your house. And just that act of love and acceptance, Zacchaeus blurted out, I've been a thief and I've stolen from people and I'm going to return four times over whatever I took. (laughs) Jesus never said, you're a thief and greedy and you've cheated people. That love from Jesus touched his heart, and he began to repent. What's shocking about all of this is how different Jesus is from us. We look at people. We seek the ones we think will make good Christians. How often have you thought of someone, well, she's such an amazingly kind and deep person. What a great Christian she would make. Jesus looks at the same person and ignores all of her good qualities. He looks at her heart and he asks the question, does she know she needs my love and forgiveness? We see the rough, rude, aggressive jerk and we think he's beyond hope. Jesus looks at him and says, he's next if only I can find a Christian nearby to love him. To do his work, we must first have his heart and have his eyes. But before we can treat other people that way, before we can see other people that way, we need to see ourselves that way. Because deep within us, there's this voice that keeps telling us, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for God's love. You're not good enough to be God's child. You can be a servant and you can earn his love. But you can't be his child and get it unconditionally. You're not good enough for that. So when God reaches out in worship with his spirit and he wants to touch your heart with his love and he just begins to do it, you sense this stirring inside. You sense this softness. You sense this warmth warmth rising up inside of you. And he's reaching out to touch you. 
And in that moment, you push him away. Say, I don't deserve this. So you see, you're still living under the law. Here's the truth. You don't deserve it. You don't. Nobody deserves his love. Nobody's good enough to earn it. But it doesn't come because you earn it. It comes because he wants to. And real transformation comes as we accept his love that we don't deserve. Now we're living under grace. And it just causes us to marvel at the depth of his continual kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, compassion, mercy, patience. And it makes you love him so much. You find this love just rising up inside because I don't deserve to be loved like this, but I'm being loved like this. And it doesn't make much sense. But that's the wonder of it. That's why it's so wonderful. That's why it's so inexplicable. That's why grace is so amazing. And that causes us to just love him more and more and more. Not because we have to, but because it's happening within us as we receive his love. Are you with me? Do you get what I'm talking about? So how about, how about we strike a blow for grace right now? And how about we just let him love us? Will you do that? Can we make a decision? It doesn't matter what shape you're in. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you've never accepted him as your savior. You know what he'd say to you? Follow me. Just open your heart. Come to me. And I'm going to touch you with my love. And that'll begin changing you. Or maybe you've been serving him for a long time and it's just really turned into a job. And you're beginning to see yourself as his servant, not his child. And you're sick of being his servant because it wears you out. Maybe you just need to let that identity go and accept unconditionally that you're his child and let him love you. Say no to that voice that continually tells you you're not good enough and you need to earn his love. Just say no to it. Should we do it? Okay, let's close our eyes. And we're going to invite him to uh, to come by his spirit and begin giving us that welcome. That unconditional free gift of love. So just open your heart and quiet the voices of the law, condemnation. Just quiet them. Just don't listen to them. And just say, yes, Lord. Right now, Lord, I'm just going to let you love me because I'm open. 
You can come any way you want. Just begin making your love real to me. Come, Holy Spirit. Pay attention to the thoughts that come to your mind because many of them are from Him. Pay attention to the emotions that begin to rise up inside of you because many of them are from Him. Your glory, God, is one. 
thought just crossed my mind. In talking about knowing Jesus, uh, following him, being close to him, the fact that our faith is a relationship, not a religion, it might be crossing somebody's mind, well, how do you do that? How do you get to know Jesus? How do you how do you follow Jesus? I think the simplest answer, the most practical one is you take his life in the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to read them. And before you start, you say to the Lord, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know what you're like. I want to experience you. So I'm going to start reading about you. And any time I read anything that truly strikes me as true, I'm going to try to live it and I'm going to look to you and ask you for the ability to do that. And I'm going to ask you to reveal yourself to me as I look at your book, as I look at your life and look at your stories. I'm asking you to communicate to me. I'm asking you to make yourself real. And I'm going to keep doing it. And here's this promise. Everybody who seeks to know me, I will make myself known to you. And that's stuff in the Bible. These little stories. They're going to start speaking truth to you in a way that really takes you by surprise. And you'll find at times he's convicting you about how, how you're living. But you'll know it's true. And you'll say, I, I can't fix myself. You've got to help me. And guess what? He will. You follow him by getting to know him. You follow him by applying the truth that you hear from him as best you can. And you're not earning your way in. This isn't earning your way in. This is getting close to him and staying close to him and listening to what he says and letting it touch your heart. That's following him. And as you do that, he's going to reveal himself to you more and more and more. Till the day comes when out of surprise, maybe you say to yourself, it's all true. He really is real. He really is my friend. He really does love me. And I'm changing and I don't even know why. It's because you're getting close to him. Now, if you want that, everybody close your eyes. If you want that, if you want to start that relationship with him, you want to start following him that way and getting to know him, just put your hand up right now. Anyone that wants that, just put your hand up. Lord Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit to every person whose hand is in the air. We pray that you touch them deeply, that you make yourself real to them, experiential, practical, that you drop your thoughts into their minds, that you drop your emotions into their hearts, Lord. That your spirit speak to them as they look at the Bible, as they read about you, that it lives and breathes. You make yourself known to them because you promised to do it.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you need prayer for anything, any situation, want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer, the prayer team would come and uh, take your take your places at the front. Anybody who anybody who has any kind of need and you'd like prayer for it, this is your opportunity. And I pray that you don't leave without getting prayer. So if you need prayer for anything, come forward and the prayer team's going to pray for you. God bless you guys. Come next week to hear another one.